Junior Church at this time. And um, huh. Mrs. Patrick, it's too bad. I think I'm telling a story about you this morning, so see ya. Um, be nice. You're more just in it, but um, if you're watching online this morning, we're glad that you've tuned in. Are, are people watching online? Yes, no, maybe. Okay, some people are. Uh, a few minutes ago, we shared some updates on our cancer ministry, and somebody asked me during fellowship time, uh, the, the church puts some of our own money into the cancer ministry, and other folks from outside the church donate money. So if you'd be interested in helping out the cancer ministry and you want to donate to that, you want to give to that, just put on your check or on online giving, BBC, and we'll make sure it gets there. And every dollar that comes in goes to somebody uh, or a family that's dealing with cancer. So there, there you go. All right, so we're in Romans chapter 12 this morning, Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to begin a new series. I don't know how long I'll do it, maybe only one week. I don't know. Sometimes you guys don't seem to care. So uh, I tell Pastor Danny, it's one thing I told him. I said, hey, you got to do what I do and start a series and just do it like two or three weeks and just stop. And I said, nobody's going to notice. Don't worry. They won't, get, they won't say nothing. So uh, Pastor Danny's out of town today in a family uh, function. So I miss him. And matter of fact, I think he's his grandfather's 90th birthday celebration. So wow. Uh, but at uh, any rate, I'm going to start doing it. And sometimes we, as pastors, we shy away from some of the great passages of the scriptures, partly because sometimes we think, well, maybe they're just too familiar and everybody knows them. And other times, and another reason is sometimes as pastors, it, you, you come to passages like the one we're going to look at today with such great respect for, for what it teaches. And I've entitled our, our new sermon series, Let's Be Reasonable. Let's Be Reasonable. We live in a day with people that have crazy ideas and crazy actions and all you got to do is watch the news or social media and uh, it doesn't seem anymore that there's a whole lot of reasonable people out there, right? Except you people in here, you're all reasonable. I see you back there, Will Lanham, in Mr. Hot Dog Eating Contest. Can't believe that, you know, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, next, next year, I think somebody from Odd Baptist really ought to win that. It would, it would be very fitting. Uh, didn't the winner do like 10 of your hot dogs in seven minutes? Ten hot dogs in seven and a half minutes. There's your benchmark, people. Um, and is that reasonable? Not at all. But, uh, you know, there you go. Um, I, I was thinking, uh, sitting there thinking about circumstances that we might find unreasonable, or maybe we are the one that's acting unreasonable, or maybe a little bit of both. Um, the kids were over uh, for uh, Addie's birthday the other day, and we were, we were reminiscing. And in our family, you know, every family has the favorite stories in your family. You know what I'm talking about? Some, you know, the ones that you hope guys like me never find out. Uh, because uh, I'd probably tell them, but, you know, as this morning. But uh, several years ago, when the kids were still, I think they were teenagers, right? Hey, Jen, I think they were teenagers. Uh, she, you don't remember. I think Savannah, you said it was, I thought it was Allison and Caleb in the car with you. You think it was Allison and Savannah were in the car with you when, Al, when Savannah was back in high school and uh, teenage years. And so that explains why you were on edge. That does explain the issues. Well, um, uh, Jenny decided that one of those days that she was going to treat the girls and they went to, to Dairy Queen. Now, Jenny is a teenager, used to work at a Dairy Queen, so she's kind of a Dairy Queen expert as it is, all right? So just to lay that foundation out there, but she went through there, and if you know anything about my wife, and if you don't, I'm about to teach you something, and you can say, well, that'd be an interesting thing. My wife loves strawberries, 
She likes to eat strawberries, and uh, whatever she wants to flavor um, with, if she can get strawberry on it, that's probably what she's going to have. And she went there and ordered one of those uh, bananas, a strawberry banana split blizzard. Everybody, I've just lost everybody now. They're all going, what time does that open? Um, and, uh, but she wanted it with extra strawberries. And trust me, remember that couple with you guys, you guys don't remember anything I ever teach you, but you remember my favorite illustrations. Remember the one I told you that I don't even like to let her order at the drive-in or the drive-through because of how, you know, I can't do that. Well, she was being her classic self, being very slow and uh, articulate that I want extra strawberries. And before they can tell you, <clears throat> ma'am, that's what they say, but that translation was, ma'am, you're going to have to pay extra. If you want extra strawberries, they're going to be extra. So she always heads them off the pass and says, I don't mind if you charge me extra. Just charge me the extra, but I want more strawberries. So they get around to the edge of the window, and the lady's handing the stuff out there. And isn't the blizzard the one they turn upside down on you? You know, they show you it's not looking out of there. And Jenny, as they do that, uh, she notices that it looks like it's creamy white. Uh-oh. You know, it would be reasonable to assume that if there's extra strawberries in there, at the worst it would be dark pink. At best it should be dark red, correct? Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, um, most of the men, I, I, let me, I don't know how you men are, even though I tend to be confrontational, what, these kind of things, I would just take it. Right, guys? No. You know, all right, right. All right, Mr. Uh, Guido back there. Um, uh, <laughs> private joke from the men's meeting there, all the men, the men's thing, you know that, uh, but I would just say, ah, oh, it's not good enough, but no, I'm glad I was not there, because I would have been hiding under the seat, I would already, I would have got out of the car, I said, oh, I know what's coming now, and Jenny said, oh, no, 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 I asked, I paid for it, and she was nice about it, and so they took it back, and they said, okay, ma'am, well, so they go back there, and they wait, and wait, come back, they hand her another one, it looks no different. Now, at that point, you know, it was, the, the, it was, things were escalating and she was getting a little more emphatic on her explanation. She went on to tell them, you need to not put extra, you need to drop the milk out of the ingredient. I know what it takes to make them. I used to work here. I know, I may, I know what it takes. Don't do that. Just put the strawberries in there. The juice from the strawberries will give you enough liquid to make it. And, and then the lady says, okay. She goes back in there. A couple minutes later, she comes back and guess what? Same. 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 At which point... I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, but I, there, there, there were blown out windows involved or something. I don't know. Um, the kids came home and said, Dad, usually we're afraid of you, but at this point we're afraid of Mom. And it's been a lifelong thing that you can do a lot of things to Jenny. You can say a lot of things, but it, I would recommend do not get between her and strawberries. Amen. Because it just wasn't reasonable. You paid extra money, you got to get your strawberries, Right. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, apparently, <laughs> apparently the rest of the family, we're not really on your team about this, but they weren't there and they're not scared like apparently the kids are. They're marred. They've had therapy, but it's okay. Um, reasonable. Today we're going to start a series on the Christian life on what it is to live a reasonable Christian life. I think there are some people you're going to, you're going to take this hard or wrong. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. But sometimes the worst people to promote the values and the principles of Jesus are professing Christians. 
Now, how much do we reasonable? How much? I, it, it, that's difficult, and I think that's why this chapter is here. And our text verse is going to be in verse number one, which sets the stage for the rest of the chapter, which is why we're going to spend extra time this morning on verse number one, because I think it lays the foundation of everything else that's going to happen in this chapter. And many of you know this verse of scripture. Probably many of you know it by heart. If you don't, it's a good one to know by heart, where the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, uh, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There it is, reasonable. It's a reasonable service. Now, um, this chapter is really significant because of its context. And I'm going to share with you two things this morning on why giving our bodies as a living sacrifice is a reasonable thing to do as Christians and how, over the next several weeks, how does that mean how should we live? In other words, I wanted this, ser- this series to be very practical, how should I live my Christian life? What does living for Christ look like in a day-by-day uh, way? And so this morning, in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, I want to share with you two principles of why it's reasonable for us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Number one, it's reasonable because of His mercy. It's reasonable because of His mercy. Notice it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He begins by begging them. He says, I beg you, therefore. And he puts a therefore, and you all know, well, what he put it there, let's see what it's there for. And uh, there, there are different commentators and brilliant people who think, well, could it be what he immediately said before him, or is it everything he said in the letter to the, book, uh, to the believers at Rome? And I would say probably both. You see, when you study the book of Romans, most people would concur that Romans is built into three major units. The first unit is found in chapters 1 to 8 and is focused on how salvation, how I can know I'm going to heaven by faith and not by the deeds of the law, not by fulfilling the Mosaic law. Paul goes on to say that the law is not the avenue to eternal life. The second section begins in chapter 9 and goes all the way to verse number 11, uh, to just before this verse, where Paul deals with the topic of Israel. Well, if you're saying Mosaic law is no longer and, and Jesus fulfilled Mosaic law and, and now the church has come, what, what, what happens to the promises that God made to Israel? Nationally, Israel has rejected the Messiah. Well, what happens to them? And so 9 through 11 deals with that issue. Now, he goes on to say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so it's to believers, by the mercies of God. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Woo! As we look at the first unit in chapters 1 to 8, we are reminded, and very quickly I want to remind you that it is a blessing that we are saved by faith and not by works. That we are saved by the mercy of God when the law of God, the God's holy standards, that none of us could reach it. Matter of fact, in early in the book of Romans, back in Romans chapter number 2, Paul reminds them, for there is no respect of persons with God. He don't care how much money you have. He don't care how much education you have. He don't care how good you think you are. You ain't good enough, and neither am I, to, to merit the holy standard of God. He goes on in verse 12 and says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but doers of the law shall be justified. Basically, he says, whether you know the Mosaic law or not, God's law is written upon our hearts. 
hearts. Humans know that we ought not kill one another. Humans know we shouldn't steal from one another, that we shouldn't lie. And all of us, without Mosaic law or with it, have all violated God's holy standard. And he said the only way out of that is for someone to perfectly keep the law. You know, if you could just do it all perfect, then you'd be okay. Now, maybe there's a couple of us in here this morning that might think that, but or you, maybe you're watching say, I'm a good person. You know, I always tell me, no, you're not. You know, I mean, talk to your brothers and sisters. <laughs> They'll probably tell me a different story. Paul would deal with that issue saying, well, what if, I, what if I'm good enough? And in chapter 3, he says, as it is written, referring back to the Old Testament, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They've become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And he sums it up by saying, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's the only thing you can say about the law is it lets us know, here's God's standard, and I am very, very fallen short of it. And he makes the dogmatic statement that there is none righteous. None of us in of ourselves have lived up to the standards of the law. But I'm so glad in Romans, that's where he begins to transition from, here's the problem, and but the mercy of God and the love of God comes in and Paul begins to talk about how God gives grace and mercy. And he uses the example of Abraham in chapter number four of Romans. He refers back to the Old Testament in Genesis and in Romans chapter four, the scripture says, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That's the problem with most modern religions today, whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or people who think, well, my, I'm going to go to heaven and my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. No, they're not. Not according to the Word of God. You, you got no chance on that because uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you've done a lot of bad things. We all have. But the bottom line is if, if you try to do it yourself, as Paul says here in Romans 4.4, 4, it's no longer grace, but it is of works. This is why even theologically I have problems with people who say, well, in order to say that I'm really genuinely saved, I've got to do certain things. And uh, if I do this, it must mean I'm not really genuine. Well, ultimately then you're, you're basing the assurance of your salvation on your works. And we were saved by grace and we're kept by grace. But it's to him that worketh not, but believeth. That's why Paul would say, and God says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Aren't you glad that as the scripture says, and Paul would write in Romans 5, as I take you through a quick journey through the first section, that God says, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I did the wrong thing because of his mercy and his love, God died for us and then he offers us the free gift and in Romans chapter 5 he says it over and over and over again about the free gift and the free gift and the free gift and then in chapter 6 he says it again for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hope you've received that eternal gift today through simple faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus and it's reasonable then for you and I to serve God because of his mercy. I shared with you Wednesday night just how fast life goes by. And um, 
as Taylor and Hunter sang a few moments ago, I'm glad to know that heaven is my home. In fact, in your song, it said the Jasper Tower. So apparently, Hunter and Taylor, if you need them in heaven, they're going to live at 5555 Jasper Tower Lane. Um, so, you know, I don't know what floor y'all are going to be on, but I'll, you know, I'll find you there, all right? Top, you're going <laughs> to Sure about that there, buddy? Um, let's, let's, preach, let's preach on pride. Um, I'm picking on you good recently, you know what? You're, you just helped me out, Hunter. I appreciate it, man. Love you, brother. You're doing fine. Um, now I'm thankful for his mercy. And because of what he did for me, it's reasonable that I would serve him. Now, when you get to chapters 9, 10, and 11, we again see God's mercy concerning God's people because we know that God's people, Israel, when Jesus came, they rejected him. They committed the iniquity, as the Old Testament refers to it in Deuteronomy, the iniquity, singular, which is the unpardonable sin when they rejected Jesus' offer of being their Messiah, and instead they crucified him, and, and uh, God judged them, and AD 70 would eventually come, and, and yet uh, Paul writes, God tells Paul to put down on paper, hey, I've not forgotten my people, and the promises I've made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Joseph, and to the Jewish people, I'm going to keep. And I, I'm telling you to this very day, there are those who out there want to tell you that the church has somehow come along, and now Israel means nothing because the church has replaced them. No, no, no. God made promises specifically to Jewish people, and God made promises to the church, and he's going to keep them both. And it's because of his mercy. It's because of his mercy. So it's reasonable that we'd serve God because of his mercy, but secondly, it's reasonable this morning to serve him because we're alive. That may sound a little crazy, but let me put it in context, all right? I hope you're alive. Some of you, sometimes I wonder, um, you know, you know, I, I heard the old joke with the kid that had saw the plaque in the, in the foyer and it had a name on it and said, died in the service, you know, uh, for the veterans and the little, little child asked the pastor, which service did they die in the morning or the night? Um, must have been a Baptist church. I don't know. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, alive, one that's holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So he challenges the believers to present their bodies a living sacrifice. And it, some people, you know, there's a lot of debate among the theologians. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. That's for a Sunday night or a Wednesday night debate. But some people think when it, when it says present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, that holy and acceptable are a, a description. Others say it's an out, outflowing and outworking. I, I, again, I wouldn't get too, however you want to look at it. In other words, you and I can be a living sacrifice because we're made holy by the work of Christ and our offering is acceptable because of what Jesus did. But I, that would be my secondary interpretation of it because the, the, the point of, that he's transitioning to is how believers should live in light of the mercy of God. And just as Peter would later write, be ye holy for I am holy, as he quotes out of the Old Testament, he tells Christian people, we ought to be a peculiar people, a holy people, a separated people, somebody who's, who's separated unto uh, a use for God and that our, that our service to him ought to be acceptable. In other words, it shouldn't be filled with a bunch of uh, sin in our lives and a bunch of things that are displeasing to him. You know, a lot of Christians, I think they just want to live life their own way and somehow just tell God that he's going to be happy with it. 
Paul lets them know right up front here that because of what Christ did for us, we ought to give our bodies as a living sacrifice and live holy and acceptable uh, before him. Now, this passage in verse number one, and again, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds for you, but if you want to check it out, a lot of the Greek words and even in the English, there's a lot of overtones here to the offering referring to the Mosaic law that he's just spent all these chapters saying we're no longer under it. But the Jewish perspective and the Jewish believers would have certainly understood it and they're trying to understand, well, how does, what's the picture? What do I learn from the Old Testament law? And so Paul uses a picture of the burnt offering and says we are like that in that we come and offer our bodies a living sacrifice. Now, one thing that's un, that would be interesting when the original readers read this, it would have been read to believers at Rome, some would have been Jewish, some would have been Gentile. And Paul's reminding them that unlike in Old Testament where the only one that could go offer a sacrifice was the priest. They're not going to do that. But now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every believer is a priest unto our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian here this morning, you are a priest, and God is asking you, how are you doing and fulfilling your priesthood? Are you offering sacrifices that are holy and acceptable? We're all priests. Remember in 1 Timothy 2, 5, the, the Bible says, and boy, this is not a favorite verse by a lot of uh, certain folks, but there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's not somebody that's living in the Vatican. It's not somebody down the street of some church that has to you know, pronounce their blessing upon you. You don't need any human being like me. It's you and Christ. You see, Paul's reminding them that we were dead in our sins. But now, as he would write in Romans earlier in this letter, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Verse 11, he says, likewise reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Wow. What he's telling them is when you and I got saved, then we were made spiritually alive. Before you got saved, you were a dead man walking. But now that we're believers, the Bible says we're alive. In other words, do you know people say, well, I'm going to do all these good works. Well, the Bible says, apart from what Christ did, all your works are as filthy rags. But once we're a child of God, now we have the first time we have the opportunity to begin to do things through the Spirit that are pleasing unto God in terms of their works for His glory and as He calls us to do it and to live uh, in our priesthood the way we ought to walk. Matter of fact, I need to make this clear. Remember I said, and Paul says, the scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. He's begging them. He says, I beg you to offer your body a living sacrifice. That in what God did for you, should you and I not serve him? Should we not be willing to be like that burnt offering? And he begs them to do it. Now, when you beg somebody to do something, if they had to do it, why would you beg? There's a begging here because there's a choice. You see, a lot of Christians, they're saved. They are positionally declared righteous in their standing before God. 
but in how they are actively, practically living out the priesthood, the, the job that God's called you to do, they have no interest in doing it. Or they define what it is. You know, we live in a day that everything that Christians want to do that's in the flesh, we just Christianize it. Can't believe the stuff that goes on in churches today. And whoo, holiness is just, you know, but some of us unfortunately grew up in ministries that holiness meant legalism, that somebody would tell you everything you do and you don't do, and there's a list of rules. Somewhere in between there, there's this living walk with God where I have to ask myself, is, is, is it most Christ-like if I'm chewing? Ooh, I'm stepping on toes now. Is, is that the best use of my resources and the best testimony? Or is it the best that the music that's coming out of my car when I pull up to stoplight, is that, is that the best or the attitude that I have towards somebody? And God begs them not to have a dead faith, but to have a living faith. This is what the book of James is all about. You imagine a priest in the Old Testament, since he's using that picture, a priest that walks miles to come to the temple to make a sacrifice and gets a lamb. But the problem is the lamb is dead. And he walks into the temple with a dead lamb. <laughs> Matter of fact, no, I'm going to get really deep here on you. Um, <laughs> the lamb had to first be alive before it could be dead. I mean, it was going to end up dead, right? But it had to start out alive. Otherwise, it wasn't acceptable. Jesus was alive and died for you and me, and you and I are the ones that, now that through faith we've been made alive, but I live in this flesh. I have these attitudes that are not godly. And those things of my flesh need to be offered and burnt up. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, if, if you want to disagree with what I'm telling you here, mortify therefore your members of your body, inordinate affection, anger, bitterness. And the word mortify in our English, if you go into the Greek, it, it, if, if I can, it just means kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. That's what it means. You see, because as Paul would write in Romans, and I know that in my flesh, this body, the one that you're looking at me with and I'm looking at you, dwelleth no good thing. That we are still waiting the redemption of our flesh, which will occur even when, either when you die and your flesh will stay here until God makes a perfect increase out of the grave, or at the rapture of Christ, where in a moment we'll all be changed. But until that time, I live in the body of this death, and every, like Paul would write in Romans, sometimes I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. And, the, you know, he, he struck just like all of us. Remember what Galatians says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, believers? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, any place you go, 
where you go to some church, and unfortunately, a lot of the American church today, guys like me are under pressure to make sure people's fannies are in the seats and the offering plates are full, so we got to tickle everybody's ears and not, not get anything too controversial. Don't get involved in politics. Don't get involved in the library. Don't get involved in pornography. Well, don't get involved in pornography. Don't get involved in the battle against it. Don't confront people when they're filled with bitterness and unforgiveness. No, I, not, I, I, not here, I, I pray. Because Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. That means if I'm following the Lord in the picture, that means I'm, just as Jesus carried his cross, you're supposed to be carrying your cross. I don't know what your cross is. Maybe you're married. That other person might be. <laughs> just kidding, a little bit, a little bit of humor. But when you're carrying around a cross, what is a cross? Is it just because it's heavy? Yeah, it's heavy. But what's the purpose of a cross? To kill somebody. So Jesus wants you as you're following him to carry around your cross. What is that instrument that makes you die to yourself? You know, sometimes I found that God brings things in our lives that we find very uncomfortable. And we pray and say, oh God, take it away, take it away. You know, sometimes I think we wouldn't pray at all if that thing wasn't there. And sometimes those things are in our life to bring us to a point where you have to decide. You're going to get all angry and bitter. Are you going to surrender to God and give that thing over to the Lord? And, and maybe God's trying to change you. Um, I think this dying to the old me and offering it as a sacrifice, as obedience. In other words, let me make this real practical. We're going to see this as we go through this series, but let me just give you, you know, believe it or not, there have been people who've wronged me over the years that my flesh, I don't want to let go of it. I want to keep bringing it up and I want to keep reminding everybody how wrong they were. And doesn't it just feel good when you can say, oh, that person, they did this, that was so wrong, you know, and you just feed on it. And God says, what I want you to do with that is I want you to give it to me and put it on the offering and let me burn it up. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're never going to come back to your mind, but when it does come back to your mind, you're going to say, no, you're going to remind yourself, I gave that to God. I forgave that person unilaterally. They didn't deserve it, but you know what? You didn't deserve to be forgiven by him. That's what Ephesians 4, 32 tells us. I'm going I'm, 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 I'm to give it to God. I'm going to let it go. And I got to tell you, when you make that decision over and over again, and I would encourage you, maybe you need to memorize a certain passage of Scripture that will help you deal with that, that particular issue. But over time, you'll find God will give you victory over it. No, you'll, you won't forget it. And you can still look back and say, yeah, that was wrong. And yeah, that hurt. But it doesn't control you anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't mold your character and your attitude and make you so prickly that everybody else around you wants nothing to do with you because you're full of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. You're not a very nice person. That's a sacrifice that's holy and acceptable. And he's not saying, hey, you got to do this working to be saved. That's contrary to everything Paul had written and God wrote, put down prior in Romans. But sometimes we forget one of the unique things, and again, I don't want to get too apologetic here, too, but one of the unique things about Christianity 
Most religions don't know what to do with our earthly body. Some of them say it doesn't really matter. This body just houses your, your real you and you can do whatever you want with this because it really doesn't matter. But Christianity is interested in your body, soul, and spirit. All of them are elevated because in the biblical worldview, God created Adam and Eve, didn't he? He created us for his glory and his purposes. Our bodies were meant as vehicles of worship of God. And we take them and use them for purposes other than that. That's the whole, really, what, what sin in effect is. God cares about the attitudes I have. He cares about how I respond to others. He cares about what I put into my mind, what I put into my ears, into my eyes. He saved me from my sins. He gave me eternal life. And now he says, let's be reasonable. Should we not choose to be a living sacrifice? Matter of fact, when that word reasonable in the Greek, it's an interesting Greek word, but the word that we get logic comes from that, the Greek word there. It's just logical that we should serve the Lord. I think a lot of times we just forget because in our worldview of this life, we forget what God really did for us. And most Christians are more interested in serving themselves we get easily offended. Oh, they hurt my feelings. I ain't going to church no more. They hurt my feelings. We get easily discouraged. We easily quit. But Paul says, no, this is your reasonable service. You know, I thought if there's anybody who could have said it's great service. Maybe the Apostle Paul could have said, hey, you know, God used me to heal people, bring back the dead. You know, he used me to write scripture, blah, blah, blah. You know, I offered great service to God. I, I, I endured prison. I endured shipwreck. I endured beatings. Hey, you know, but Paul doesn't say, hey, I offered great service. He said, no, it's just, it's just reasonable. I'm sure Peter would say the same thing. Remember, Peter, tradition says Peter was crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way my Lord was, so please crucify me upside down. So they tortured him and killed him. And, and nowhere does Peter say, hey, that was great service. No, it's just reasonable. Maybe John, the Apostle John, could say, hey, you know, I serve God. And they, and they put me in prison, and they, uh, tradition says they boiled me in oil and sent me to this, you know, forsaken island, you know, where Jesus met me. But, you know, uh, that, that, that was great service. No, it was just reasonable. Maybe the great saints of the past of more of the modern areas, you know, heroes of mine like William Tyndale, who, who uh, translated the Bible into English and was, a, I don't know, he knew seven, eight, nine languages fluently. He was one of my heroes, and he was burned at the stake for, for, the, for the, translating the Word of God for people. And, and, and William Tyndale, I think today, he'd, he'd say, oh, you did great service. I think William Tyndale would say, no, no, it was really, it was just reasonable. Maybe Amy Carmichael, this wonderful young lady, went over to India and, and saved young girls from prostitution in the temples there, the Hindu and uh, uh, Buddhist temples, and, and, and she endured false uh, accusations and all kinds of things. You know, she did great service. And I think Amy Carmichael today in glory would say, no, it was just reasonable. Maybe Adoniram Judson, who went to Burma, and if you know his story, you know his wife died there, buried his, buried his children there on the mission field. He didn't go home and say, whoa, you know, if, God, if that's what God's going to do to me, if I go on the mission field and this is what happens to me, whoa, 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 whoa. I did great service. No, I, I think Ed and our Judson, if we talked to him, he'd say, no, it was, it, was, it was just reasonable. Are you getting it? How about 
during the Moravian revival over there in Europe, the two young men that sold themselves into slavery that they could go to the Caribbean to go to the sugar plantations and win people to Christ. I've been to St. Thomas, seen those fields, seen the markers where those missionaries came. And if you travel around the Caribbean, which I have been blessed to do, you find the, in, the influence of Christianity all over the Caribbean. Why? Because two young men said, I'm going to sell ourselves into slavery that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's great service, great service. No, it's just reasonable. You see, how often do we complain to God and quit serving and become some hardship or sorrow in your life? We, we let offenses and our feelings rule our choices. We, we tell God that he's just asking too much, you know. We're just laboring too hard. Oh, it's too many demands. Oh, you mean I, got, I mean God wants me to be interested in the local church more than an hour a week? You mean I should give more than 10% of my income? You mean we should give money to missionaries? You, you, you mean when that other person at church was a jerk to me that I should forget them and keep serving God? Oh, yeah, I think we did. But, you know, oftentimes those things happen and we develop the attitude of, you know, God, you're really lucky to have me. I'm doing some great service. No, you're not. It's just reasonable. You know, the sad fact is most Christians are not interested in any reasonable service. It's just too much demand, too much expectation. And in America, we've become so soft. Mm. Lastly, and I'll be done. Um, while I was gone, I, uh, Jen and I, the last couple of weeks, I like to read a lot of books. It's one of my things. That's why I like cruising. I really don't care about much what goes on. I just want a good buffet meal. I want a good view of the ocean, and I want a good book. That, that's it. Um, you know, and, and everybody else, leave me alone. Um, you know, that's what I want. But um, my mother-in-law had given me a book. I, th- I think it might have been back at Christmas. I kept it for a while, no? It was for the cruise. And my mother, mom, if you're watching, thank you, mother-in-law. I, I did read the book. Matter of fact, here's a, here's a picture of the cover. It's called Unbroken Bonds of Battle. And um, inside this book, it's written by one guy, but he shares stories of, of uh, men and women that served in our armed forces um, and through the hardship of warfare, had to develop a really tight bond. One of the guys in many, um, one of the guys in the story, his name is Staff Sergeant Daniel Ridgway of the U.S. Marines. Here's a picture of uh, uh, Staff Sergeant Ridgway. And um, he was in the Marines and volunteered to be part of the EOD. Does anybody know what the EOD is? What's the EOD? Man, I got Marines in here. Okay. I thought, I wonder how many of my going to think All right. Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Yeah, that's what I want to do in the military. Go find me some IEDs and disarm them. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, but apparently it's, a, you know, it's obviously it's a position of great danger, but great honor. And these, these guys that do this, Wow. You'll probably hear some more stories over the months out of this book, by the way, but um, Staff Sergeant Ridgway went through extensive training and he found himself in the middle of the Helmand province in Afghanistan, Senjin, Afghanistan, I think it's a city that they were based out of. And in the book, 
he talks about how he'd done all his training and he'd done a little, he'd been in the field, but now he was going into one of their little hot spots uh, during that time of, of the war. And he, he goes, I get in there and he goes, I'm on one of my very first patrols. And he goes, it was interesting because unlike other places, he said the Marines, when they would do patrols, they'd go down old goat paths. And he said they would literally tell the Marines, you know, they would step in each other's boot, boot print. And he said, why would you want to do that? <laughs> you step in the wrong place and bad things happen. And Staff Sergeant Ridgway in the book tells how, and he was early in this particular deployment, he asked the advice of a very seasoned and respected EOD tech and say, hey, any, any big words of advice, I begin this. And this is what the other tech told him, and I had Allie put it up on the board here. Every step is a conscious decision. Every step is a conscious decision. When you're in Afghanistan and you know that every step you take, could, you could step on a, a mine that could end your life, you, you get really interested on where you're stepping. If I can end with just a simple spiritual analogy, Christians got to wake up and understand there's a war going on. Yeah, we're in the middle of a culture war for our country. That's true. But you know that culture war is only a reflection of a bigger war, which is a spiritual war. Sometimes Christians get too deflected on the culture war instead of waging the war spiritually and I have seen a lot of Christians that have given no thought to the decisions they make and we step on something and boom they're no longer in the battle choices you make they need to be brought to that altar and given as a living sacrifice it's just reasonable Lord, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray that as all the believers that are gathered here this morning and watching online, uh, I hope we've been reminded of your great mercy that saved us from a place called hell, a place of eternal, eternal, eternal suffering. And because of what you did, you saved us from that, and now you just ask us to offer reasonable service. Lord, I pray as I've spoken this morning, maybe there's somebody here, a Christian, that's got some issue in their life, some sin that just continues to knock them down, that continues to keep them in bondage and addiction and defeat. Lord, I pray that as they sit right where they are, that your spirit would bring that issue to their mind and to their heart. And my dear friend, I'd encourage you to offer it to God, give it to him. Now I know it's going to be a process. There's going to be some choices, different choices you're going to have to make, but there is victory. There are some Christians that just have not been involved in service. Your priestly service has been, I don't know, sit on the sidelines. I don't know. Maybe you're watching today or you're here and you say, Pastor Ken, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. I would ask you, has there ever been a time in your life where you personally received the gift, the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ is offering you today? He died for you and rose again. He says, now I want to give you eternal life. Would you believe me for it? Would you believe him this morning? Would you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Holy Spirit of God, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy as Americans, and thank you for men and women like Sergeant Ridgeway that uh, sacrificed so much for our freedom. As Christians involved in a greater warfare, help us to consider each step. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Brother Joe's going to lead us in a verse of invitation.